Welcome to the Laity Space Podcast, conversations that champion and support the role of everyday United Methodists in Florida. In today's special episode, co-lay leader Alice Williams is joined by Reverend Pam Carter as they discuss a bit of Pam's journey of faith and why she loves the UMC. You're going to love this episode. So thanks for joining us. And now on to the show. friends. It's Alice Williams, your co-lay leader for the Florida Annual Conference, and I am very excited today to have a good friend of mine that I'm going to have the opportunity to chat with for a little bit. Uh, You will recognize and know her uh, as the Reverend Pam Carter. Uh, She is in the Florida Annual Conference with us, and um, you may also know that she is the spouse of Bishop Ken Carter, who is our uh, bishop in the Florida Annual Conference as well as in Western North Carolina, which I believe, Pam, that's where you are right now currently is in Western North Carolina, correct? Yes, we're spending some time after the two annual conferences, relaxing in the coolness of the mountains. And oh, we are so jealous. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad to know that you guys have some downtime so that. That's, that's great. And we thank you so much for your time here today. No problem. Um, we just wanted to talk a little bit. I heard you speak at annual conference and you told a little bit about this story, but we just thought it would be kind of fun if, if you would mind just sharing with us just a little bit about what brought you to the UMC and how you ended up here. Um, well, I believe I started off by saying that I had not grown up United Methodist, but that I got there as quick as I could. And um, I mean by that, that I'm so glad um, that I found the United Methodist Church. I grew up in a very rural uh, agricultural county in North Carolina, about middle of the state. And uh, there were about two churches you could go to, a Baptist and a Methodist. And my grandparents went to the Methodist and my parents, for some reason, joined this very small Baptist church. And um, those were my formative years. I think I was there probably through 10 or 11 years old. Um, And the pastor there at the time was named Dr. Bullman. And they, in the Baptist church, they call a pastor. Um, So their, their kind of desire was to have someone that knew the Bible inside and out. That's what the congregation wanted in choosing Dr. Bullman. And he was very, very, very knowledgeable about the Bible. So most sermons were uh, more like teaching and whatnot. And about nine years old, I remember a sermon he gave on Mary and Martha. And Dr. Bullman and that whole community was uh, very uh, traditional and um what the Bible says is what the Bible says. That's kind of, you know, their attitude. So he's preaching about Mary and Martha. And I'm sitting there as a nine-year-old, and I'm hearing all of this. And it came over me just this sense that I wanted to be more like Mary, who sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to his teachings and learned from him, than somebody that was busy and distracted. Now, as I got older, um, I, I... I kind of sensed that that was a call for me, a call experience, that somehow I was going to give my life in service to the church. And I will say, you know, Dr. Bullman was reading those lines off the page of the Bible, but never suspecting that through God's grace, this little nine-year-old girl in this rural community would hear, oh, you need to enter the ministry. So you can, I think my point at the time uh, during the annual conference is you can read lines on a page in the Bible, but you, 
you can't always hear what God is saying and speaking to others through that. Um, Their lens was a very defined lens. And I'm sure, you know, the point of the sermon was, you know, women, you need to be good Christian women. But somehow God spoke to me a little differently. And um, so as a teenager, I I just sensed I was ready for something different. And um, an aunt of mine went to the Methodist church in the nearby um, town of Kernersville. And she invited me to Main Street Methodist. And my cousin and uh, was the organist and her husband was the youth minister. And they just kind of took me in. Um, I will say that from the outside looking in when I was that teenager, late teen, I probably looked like the average know-nothing teenager. But the truth was, I was a pretty uh, fragile and um, person and probably not completely formed and carried with me the same kind of, you know, issues that many people struggle with in their teens. And so from the outside, I looked fine, but on the inside, there was a lot that was happening. And the youth counselors youth pastor, all those people kind of took me in and they accepted me. And we found my husband and I, once we met, found mentors in the church. And it just, for me, was grace. It was grace. And I always say that the church saved my life. As a teenager, I was in a very, very vulnerable place. Things could have gone much differently for me, depending on the influences I had around me, because I was so um, incomplete as a person. That's how I put it. So that was my beginning in the Methodist church. And I'm just glad that the Methodist church read the lines a little differently. Really resonate with your comment about how scripture and hearing scripture and stuff, you know, it's probably a seed planted in one way, but how the Holy spirit moves with it and what it works within you totally different, but that's the God thing, right? That's the God thing to all of this. Right. Right. And God can do something with words and scripture that make it a living thing for a human being and change them. So that's kind of um, how it happened for me. I will say coming to the Methodist church happened because one, somebody invited me and that made me feel included. Just inviting a person makes them know you want them to be there. You can't just assume, oh, we're great. (laughs) You want to come to us. You have to say, we want you. So it happened for me because somebody invited me, and it happened because I was ready, which is a way of saying prevenient grace. It was a time in my life where God acted on my behalf in ways I couldn't imagine. So, Pam, when you think about the UMC, what are some of the things that you truly love about it as a denomination, as a church? Well, I think it's probably overstated a lot, but... It's true. I love the connectionalism. I love how when I had this crazy idea that we should pack flood buckets, that churches from all over Florida got busy packing flood bus- buckets, and we had a common person, uh, purpose and serving. And the way the church uh, in Florida during COVID lockdown and during most of the pandemic fed their communities. It's this, you can call this word connectionalism, but it just sounds kind of vague. But what it means to me is somehow what we get done is greater than the sum of our parts. 
I also think of the work that you've done in Haiti and just how that has happened too. And, and again, that's another form of connectionalism. It's not just something that's within our annual conference, but it's where we are. That's, to me, that's one of the neat things. We are truly worldwide, you know? Well, that's interesting because other thing I was going to say was diversity. And just in Florida, the different kinds of churches, rural, urban, uh, family churches, we have all kinds of churches. And when we come together, look what we get done. It's kind of amazing. And we're all over the world. We're not just one little church and one little community, you know, dangling off by ourselves. We're part of each other and we hold each other accountable and there's kind of a common language, all those kind of things I love. Yeah, and, and you know, for me too, just playing off of that, it's the whole notion that no one congregation could ever do as much as what we can do collectively together. I mean, to reach people for the love of Christ and, and for the ability to do the work, to be the hands and feet of Christ. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I think the connectional nature of our church is really key. And I think once you get beyond a local church, sometimes, you know, you find mentors that you might not find in in one congregation that are the person you need for some next journey. You know, as we entered the ministry, there were several pastors that just took Ken and I under their wing and helped shepherd us and loved us, even with all our rough edges as, you know, young know-it-all seminary students, but just welcomed us and shepherded us. And you know, the church is bigger than any one congregation. Um, it's important, but I guess I'm saying the depth and breadth of what God has to offer through a connectional church is much greater than just one church that tries to do it on their own. So what do you wish were different about the UMC? If you could change something or, you know, make it make it different in some way, what would it be? Well, I thought, you know, recently, about that very question, you know, we're going through our own struggles in different ways. And part of that struggle is to define what's really important. Uh, To be United Methodist, what is really important um, and essential? And I guess what I came to is that I, I wish that we would focus on loving people, getting out there and loving people getting out there and loving people instead of like passing judgment on who they are, um, you know, where they come from, whatever. Um, It's not ours to judge. It's ours to love. I mean, that's the call to love God and love neighbor. And I thought about this a little before we met and I thought, you know, that's really what happened to me in high school that I was loved despite my rough edges It wasn't, they weren't, they could clearly have passed judgment on me. And maybe they did and they kept it to them to themselves, for which I'm thankful. But but that's what I really wish the Methodist Church would get back to is this sense of seeing in people sacred worth. You know, I think John and Charles both, but especially John Wesley, when he you know started going out to where the people were out in the fields, out in the mines, in the, into the taverns and, and whatnot. I think that's kind of what his motivation was. I, you know, I, I've often wondered, you know, if, if I were to sit down with him, you know, what would John have to say about all this? But I, I think that probably would be one of the key pieces is, you know, we need to get back just to, to loving people where they are. Yeah. 
exactly. Um, one other question for you. Why do you think you will stay UMC? And why do you hope others will stay UMC? I have thought about this one a lot. I, I, I had always known that I would remain UMC. We've spent more than 50 years in the United Methodist Church. We've, every place we've lived has been because of the United Methodist Church. The wonderful people we've met are because of the United Methodist Church. I would never leave it personally because of what it has meant in my life, how nurturing and formative, all those things. But as I thought about it, I thought, you know, that's, that's really not a good enough reason because it's been so good to me. Um, that really, I need to stay because there are other Pams out there that need the love of Christ. I need to stay and be the best United Methodist I know how to be because there are others who need the love of God. So, yes, it's nurtured me. I love it. You know, it's my bosom buddy denomination. It's my part of my identity, but that's all about me. Um, And really, there are just so many people, I think, that long for a sense that they are accepted and they are loved and they are enough. And they may not be perfect and they may have messed up in their life, but they can always start over. And there are people that are going to walk alongside them who are also messed up. (laughs) So um, it just seemed to me it had to be about others. And the other thing I'll say is, it's not just that I'll, I think you could do that from other places. You could be in a denomination for others in another denomination, right? But I do it in the Methodist church for several reasons. I'm, I believe in prevenient grace. That is unique to the United Methodist Church, that God is acting in this world before we even have an idea how to choose him to make a connection with us to bring us into his bosom, so to speak, to love us. I believe the way that we approach scriptures so that it's not just lines on a page that say exactly what we think we know it is, because we always all bring our perspectives to it. But, you know, we have this thing called the quadrilateral where we look at scripture from several perspectives that make it richer and more nuanced, um, you know, Scripture, reason, tradition, and experience. I think that's it. So we know that our minds can reason some things. We know that we look at what the great church fathers and uh, theological scholars throughout the centuries have said. So those kind of things. And I think the thing that really appeals to me is the missional witness of our church. I think the Methodist church, you know, church in general has really suffered from... um, a loss of esteem in our society. And there are a lot of different reasons for that. But I think the Methodist Church, because of their missional witness, has not suffered uh, in quite the same way. That, you know, I was reading uh, recently a statement by a church in um, another conference that was declaring that they were staying United Methodist Church. And you know what they said? One of the reasons we feel we want to do this is because of the witness of UMCOR in our community when we went through a disaster. Wow, that's powerful. You know, right? I mean, we're there, right? Exactly. It wasn't just about, you know, these black and white lines. It was about a greater experience of this is where we felt 
the power and presence of God, this graceful presence that's undeniable. So, you know, I, I just feel like that is such a rich tradition that carries such strength and power. And I want to be a part of that. That's always kind of been my thing to, you know, want to be on a, be working with a church in a way that's making people's lives better who suffer. You know, I came along as a, um, through ministry back when they didn't have deacon's orders. And probably if I were coming through now, I would have been a deacon. But that's another story for another time. <laughs> well, Pam, I just want to publicly uh, take this opportunity first to thank you for your time today, but to thank you for all that you do, both for the Florida Annual Conference and for the Western North Carolina Conference but more importantly, for the faithfulness that you've had to your calling. And, and I will tell you, I have experienced personally um, the way you have mentored me, the way Bishop Carter has mentored me, and, and, and what a difference it has made in my life. So I just, I just want to publicly acknowledge that and say thank you for that, too. Is there anything else? Boy, haven't we- I was just going to say, boy, haven't we had fun doing <laughs> yes, it? Yes, we have. Haven't, haven't we had fun loving God and one another? It's just sometimes I think about the last 10 years in Florida, and I think, you know, we it's just been a joy, a joy. Not everything, but, you know, in the whole, it has just been a joy to be God's people it's, together. It has been. It, you're absolutely right. It has been um you know, we, this has been a unique journey. We find ourselves in kind of a, in an awkward and special time right now, but I can't imagine anybody else I'd rather be on the journey with. <laughs> so, Likewise. Grateful for that. Pam, thank you for your time today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Bye. Take care. Bye.